And everybody else, if you please find Genesis 19 in your Bibles with me. I wonder if I were to ask you to examine from your experience how many topics there are that we cover in church where if you do not handle it in the biblical way where you could lose your job or lose your business while at the same time, if you handle it in the biblical way, you could lose your job or lose your business. Such is a topic that we'll be looking at today. I have for a long time used the expression borrowed convictions. I think that everyone has borrowed convictions at a point in their walk with Jesus Christ. All young people have borrowed convictions. Most of them um, at a young age have not read the Bible and established what they believe for themselves yet. And so children will oftentimes adopt the conviction of their parents or grandparents or maybe a teacher. Young Christians, as adults, you get saved, and oftentimes you have to know what you believe about something, and you'll just borrow what someone else thinks. Perhaps it's a popular opinion in churches or in Christianity. The topic that we're going to talk about today is one where you cannot have borrowed convictions. You must dig in and decide for yourself what you believe God's Word teaches. And even the damage that can be caused by individuals, Christians, if they do not handle this sensitive topic in the right way, there is a lot of damage that can be done, damage for the cause of Christ, I mean against the cause of Christ. This is so important that we know what we believe about this. What we'll see in God's Word today, there's a number of applications, and I've already prayed that perhaps some of you would walk away with an application that I did not even intend or think about, but my experience is is the Holy Spirit has a very sweet way of doing that. We will see very clearly a danger that comes into people's lives when they compromise what they know is right. We're also going to be challenged with the importance of having the Bible as our sole authority, the foundation for our living and our convictions in life. Now, the passage that we're going to cover is a narrative which should be appealing to us. Do you guys like stories? I know before you've told me you like stories. I like stories too. Having said that, this story that we're going to cover today just It covers the most depraved things that we can find in humanity. And so I'm trying to prepare you for that. The worst kind of depravity found in man or found in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 19. So as we turn to Genesis 19, I'll ask you, in fact, I'd like to stop just one more time and pray. Can I invite you to pray? You can pray along with what I'm saying or whatever God lays on your heart. Gracious Father, we have your word open, and of course, you're the God of the past and of the future and the present, so you're never surprised. Heavenly Father, we need clear wisdom today. We praise you for the promise of the Holy Spirit and ask that he would be clearly involved with the words that I would say and with the message that individuals would receive. 
We thank you for your promise to give wisdom and to help in time of need. We claim that now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go over a lot of verses, 29 verses today. So it's a, it's a large chunk. Um, I don't think you'll be bored with it. I'm sure that you won't be bored with it. And some very practical applications. The first thing that I see here from Genesis 19 is that you and I need to know what our values are and we need to never compromise our values. Everyone has some kind of a value, some kind of rules that they have. Even the person that says, you know what, the only rule I have is there are no rules. Well, what is that? That's a rule itself, right? Everyone has some guidelines that guide them. And as we turn from the character Abraham to now Lot, we've looked at Lot before in our study of the life of Abraham, and now he's going to be the person that we're talking about most of the time. And we knew that he went down towards Sodom and Gomorrah in the well-watered valleys, but now he has moved. And that's where we pick up this story. Look at verse number one of Genesis 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, and so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So what do you think a lot so far? Good job. Good job. He's sitting in the gate. This interesting parallels to what we just studied with Abraham. Abraham was standing in the tent and he saw some men coming. Clearly something was different about these men. Abraham could have had many of his servants go and prepare a meal and, and show hospitality, but Abraham chose to do that. Now we find Lot recognizes there's something different about these men. They come in the evening... And Lot, who had gained a position of authority, sitting in the gate, that was a place where they would judge civic matters. And so he has moved from outside walls to inside the walls, and then over some time, he has gained a little bit of prominence. We find that Lot has a love-hate relationship with Sodom and Gomorrah. And I, I say that straight from God's word. There's some things that he really likes about it. There's some things that are going to make him not want to leave Sodom. And yet there are some things that he hated. We, he, finds, he moves from near the city to inside the city. By the way, this is the first time we find the word house in the Bible. It's not a very positive reference. But of course, Abraham and Lot before him, they were nomads traveling around in tents. And now he's living in a house. He was sitting in the gate being part of official judgments. And yet he knew that these visiting men should not stay in the square. Perhaps you caught that when we read it. No, no, no. You guys can't be hanging around town. The sun's going down and that would not be a good thing. There were things that Lot hated about his city and things that he loved about his city. Listen to what Second Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 says. 
And he, and if he, that's God, rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Does that give you an idea of the love-hate relationship? Could he have moved out of the city if he wanted to? Of course he could. He was a wealthy individual. There were some things that he liked, but there were some things that vexed his soul. Lot tolerated sin when he was able to advance. He didn't preach at those guys and their wickedness as long as it benefited him. And maybe they saw him as a, a wealthy uh, you know, a farmer. Come on in one that had lots of animals, come on in and we'll give you a place of prominence as long as you've got some money. And he does not stand against sin while he's moving up in the ranks, but that's about to change. He's going to have to stand against this sin. Lot is successful in keeping those men from exposure to the wickedness. Did you notice they had a feast? They had a feast there, it says. He had him in his house. He's got him protected. And I think he had every intention on getting them out as early the next day as possible. That's what it said. So he's protected them so far. And he's also been able to be a, a fence walker, kind of a follower of God. But things are about to change. Now the creatures of the night are going to come out. The second lesson that we learn here that I see anyway, is the price tag for sin is not clear until it's too late. Many of you have learned that lesson the hard way. Going down the road of sin, thinking what would be the worst thing that could happen. And the price tag is not clear until it's too late. Look in verse number four. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. All of Lot's values had been corrupted by this environment that he chose to place himself in. The influence of Sodom was incredible. 
And even for us today, it is very difficult for someone to live in a culture and not have the values of that culture rub off on them. What values were rubbing off on Lot in years past? Uncle Abe, right? Uncle Abe loved God. Lot was a righteous man. Three times it's said there in Peter, righteous, his righteous soul. He knew God, but he was a fence walker. And right now he's living in a place and his values were completely corrupted. The first verse of the book of Psalms is so helpful for us. Get, get the mental picture when I read this verse. Understand the progress of sin. Psalm number one, verse one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Did you see the progression there? Walking by the sin, standing near the sin, seated with the sin. There's a progress that goes on when we allow ourselves to be near that kind of sin and Lot's values were totally corrupted. And you and I, if we are not careful and if we're constantly exposed to sin and a perversion of the things that God has given, we will have problems. I use that word perversion. Let me, let me focus on that for a little bit. I think it's fair to say that the devil really, he's not all that creative with what he does. He's really not. The devil doesn't necessarily create all kinds of new things to torment man with and to tempt man with, but instead what the devil does is he perverts the good things that God has given and if we were to start to make a list of all the things that God has given us and how the devil has twisted them and perverted them, the list would go on and on. This is his strategy. He is not that creative. In this story, in the area of sex, which is a gift from God to married couples, we find everybody included in the story inside the walls has perverted the gift of sex. The men very clearly wanted to know them carnally. They wanted to rape these visitors to the city. And then I, probably some of you, when we just read over those words that Lot was going to, any, any parents here, hearts break, offer up his daughters to these men. We're not going to complete the chapter today, but we will see that the daughter's view of sex was completely perverted as they will deceive their father into uh, procreating with them when they're living in a cage after they're gone. The devil takes what God gives us and he perverts it. And this is why you and I must have the Bible as the foundation, not only for what we believe, but how we live. I want to talk about this area of homosexuality just for a short time. 
you have a responsibility of not living with borrowed convictions on every topic of the Bible. And before I delve into this, let me just say that I think that this is just something that has come to the forefront in our day, in our place where we live, homosexuality. As soon as it's not really a problem, the devil's got no problem not focusing on that anymore and focusing on something else. That's why for you and I to have a worldview that is reflected by the Bible is so important. A biblical worldview where this is what we lead with and we do not apologize for believing the Bible. But it's hard work, isn't it? It is hard work. But when God, when Jesus Christ left this earth, he said something better is going to come. And that's true. The Holy Spirit came down and resides within each one of us. And the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And even though you might have questions and might have confusion, you can have the answers. And you need to have the right answer for this area of homosexuality because it is on the forefront of the battle we face today. Let me talk about this, and maybe this will be new to some of you. I'm going to give one challenge that I'm sure will be a struggle for some. Some people believe that being homosexual is, is out of their control. It's just as much out of their control as the color of their skin or their height. And that is not what the Bible teaches on this. The Bible is clear that homosexual sin, homosexual activity is wrong. Here it's found in Genesis chapter 19. We find it also in Leviticus 18. In Romans chapter 1, we went through a series in Romans not too long ago. And almost right off the bat in Romans, we were talking about this issue of homosexuality. In 1 Corinthians and also in 1 Timothy. So the New Testament talks about this. Be careful about the people who want to say, oh, that's just Old Testament stuff. And also be careful that you are familiar with more than just what the Old Testament says. This is a hard issue. This is one that our family, we've talked about around the dinner table. And as we walk in a community, and as we want individuals to know about the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we want to make sure that we go about it the best way. And there are some people who are gay, and they will say Christians are the enemy because of what they believe about this. So be prepared for that. Don't back down on what you're learning. But this issue leads to debate, and it leads to controversy. Let me give you something that is so important when you, as a believer, approach this issue. You must understand and distinguish the difference between homosexual behavior and homosexual inclinations. This might be the first time some of you are hearing that. There is a difference between a homosexual act and what's called same-sex attraction. And the reason why that's new for so many is because most of us don't struggle with that. The vast majority of the population has an attraction to the opposite sex, but there's a small number, likely some who are hearing this message today, that they have struggled with that homosexual inclination. 
Just because you don't understand it does not mean it is not real. And if you start to say, that's crazy, nobody feels that way because you don't understand it, you're going to lose your opportunity to talk about it. Same-sex attraction is something that is real, but there is a difference between sinning and being tempted. If you're taking notes and this is new to you, write that down. There is a difference between sin and temptation. We can use the illustration that of someone that is born with a, a greater susceptibility to violence. Some individuals just have that bent towards violence more than others. Just because they're born with that greater susceptibility to violence does not mean that it's okay when they're wronged or they're ticked off to blow up and explode. Doesn't make it okay. They might lean more towards violence and they have to, when they're tempted, follow God's teaching. They have to say no to that. The same thing will apply with same-sex attraction. Individuals might be tempted. They might be confused. And you cannot tell them they don't feel that way. You cannot. But you will lose any opportunity to present Jesus Christ to them when you tell them you don't feel that way or you're crazy. No matter our inclination, we cannot define ourselves by the sins that Jesus Christ was crucified for. And so we do not give in to it. We know what the Word of God says about it for ourselves. The Apostle Paul, when he spoke to the church at Corinth, he mentioned that sin of homosexuality when he says, some of you were saved from this lifestyle. So there is salvation that comes from it. Now I want to give you a resource for you to go. I don't have time. We're not going to show any videos today, of course. But there is a resource that's available. Um, it's the testimony of a woman, and she was a lesbian. And God saved her and saved her partner. She was seeking after God, and they started looking in the Bible. And they looked in Romans, and they said, boy, we need to, we need to figure this out. And God wonderfully saved both of them. I'm going to give you her name and her testimony is on YouTube. And you can look it up later on. Her name is Patty Height. P-A-T-T-I. And then Height, just like it sounds. H-E-I-G-H-T. Patty Height. And she's a former lesbian. And during a, the one that I saw, she was in a Sunday school setting. And she gives her testimony. And watch it all the way to the end because one of the most valuable resources is the questions that a group of people like you are asking someone who was in a lifestyle as a lesbian and came to Jesus Christ and was forgiven. Patty Height. Watch one of her testimonies on YouTube. All right, let's pull back into this narrative. Lot offers up his daughters to be raped. But as I've gone through this story, it's my opinion that Lot's daughters were not lost at that point or would not have been lost. Lot's daughters were already gone because of the choice of where he put them, because of the values that he did not teach them. His daughters were already lost at this point. Let's pick it up in verse number 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? That's the angels. 
sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to be married to his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. We should not be surprised that no one would listen to this man when he tried to preach to them. It's debatable whether the two virgin daughters that he had were engaged to these men or whether they were already married to a couple of their daughters. I've heard people go both ways on that. Remember, there was an outcry, and I don't know who was crying out, but there was an outcry against the sins of Sodom. The outcry was great, but the city did not have to be destroyed. Why was it, even with this incredible sin, why was it that the city was not spared? It was because of a lack of righteous people. You and I are to stand out as righteous wherever we are. And here there were not enough people, shame on Lot, who knew God but would not share that God and his values with anyone else. Now, I want you to remember, do you, well, can you recall why Abraham and Lot separated in the first place? Do you remember that? Why did they separate? Too many animals, too much stuff. The herdsmen weren't getting along. There's just a mess going on. So they had to separate. So he goes down in the well-watered valley of Sodom. Lot had wealth. He had influence. And Lot's compromise would cost him everything except for his own life. Look at verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his, seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. <laughs> Lot says to them, oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die Behold, this city is, is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And you and I scratch our heads here. Verse 21, and they, he said to them, he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you, have, until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Lot 
presses the mercy of the Lord. He pushes him and he pushes him. And he did not want to go to the mountains. That's where he ends up. So we don't have a whole lot of information. He goes to Zoar at first, but he ends up leaving there and going to the mountains. But he presses the mercy of God. And I want to contrast this just for a moment because it's interesting there. Look at the last verse, 22. Uh, Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Isn't that interesting? Go quickly, because I'm, I'm waiting on you to get out of here. We find a withholding today of God's judgment on wickedness because of the presence of believers in this world. Whenever you talk to someone who does not know God and they start to question, where is your God? When, when the beheadings happen, when the earthquakes come and the floods when the disease and the, and the viruses come, where is God during all of this time? And our answer can be, our God is up in heaven withholding wrath that will be poured out on this world. And you better get right with him. You better turn to him. And the wrath will come. And it will come after the believers are taken out of this world, there will be incredible torment. There will be incredible judgments that come upon the sins of this world after the believers are taken out. When we look at Peter, he teaches us that God knows how to deliver the righteous and still reserve judgment for the ungodly. Look at verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar, and then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt." We find a lesson from Lot's wife here. Jesus Christ would take her and would reiterate this lesson. And perhaps it's the lesson that you need today. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 29, Jesus said this, But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Verse 32, three words. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. What in the world are some of us holding on to here in this world? And to think of being asked to let go of that. And Lot's wife here, you know, 
There's an old song, I left my heart in San Francisco. Remember that old song? That's what's going on here with Lot's wife. She left her heart in Sodom. There was mercy available. And she could not leave behind her previous life. We've been talking about Lot. We're going to come full circle and go back to Abraham, who was part of the conversation before any of this happened. Look at verse 27. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Remember that conversation they had? And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was that when God, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Hebron, from the place where we believe Sodom and Gomorrah was, about 10 to 15 miles removed. 10 to 15 miles. Abraham goes out to that place where he had the talk and he says, Shall not the God of all the earth do what is right? And he got his answer to will you spare the city when he saw the smoke rising up like the smoke of a furnace. I'm not sure what kind of application will apply to your life from a talk like this. For me, I've, I've been challenged. And for me, I've had to even, even repent. I grew up in a family that was very, very judgmental of individuals who were gay. In a place where the derogatory terms would even fly. Your sin is no less than their sin. But you, by God's mercy, have been forgiven. And if you want to be a part of giving a message to them that forgiveness is available, Jesus Christ is the answer. It is a sin that they can be saved from. But they will not. They will not listen to you if you're holding up signs that are derogatory about a homosexual lifestyle. And in the workplace... If there's another one there that said, well, God made Adam and Eve, not God and Steve, and you just turn over laughing, you're going to lose an audience to share the gospel with them. Homosexuals think that Christians are the enemy, and we cannot sacrifice what the Word of God teaches, but we can let them know that God loves them. And you and I need to be very, very careful to hold a biblical conviction on homosexuality, study it for yourself. Not one of you has an excuse to have borrowed convictions on this. You can go back and listen to the tape or you can look it up for yourself on the internet, the scriptures that, that where the Bible talks about this. You and I must beware the slow but deadly practice of compromise. And for some, it might not be so much for you as much for your children or grandchildren. You might be able to be around that. You might be able to watch that. You might be able to hear that. And it's not going to shake you. Righteous Lot didn't become homosexual. But his family 
His family was sacrificed. You and I need to beware of the, do- the deadly practice of compromise for ourselves and for those that we love. Compromise comes when we move from one place where we are at. And so that's the challenge for us to establish a biblical worldview. Know what you believe about this issue, this issue, but know what you believe about every issue. There's going to be something else highlighted in a year, something else that we stand for. You must know what God's word says and what it does not say. And do not fall into the trap of having borrowed convictions or even being one who would become an enemy to individuals that need forgiveness. Instead, be one that would be a light. The wonderful testimony of that woman named Patty who was saved from that sin. You and I do not compromise. But you and I know what we believe. And God is so good to us to give us the Holy Spirit to teach us and give us his word. Would you be surprised today if I told you that people are watching you? And I do not want for individuals to hide the fact that they are Christians. In fact, I think that's a shame that someone works with somebody or goes to the gym with somebody for years and says, oh, I never knew you went to church. Well, that's a shame. But it opens us up. You must know what you believe about this. I started by saying this is an issue that people can lose their job for doing the wrong thing. So you make a derogatory term about someone with a different lifestyle. You can get fired for that, lose your business for that. And maybe you should. And also, if you stand for biblical values, in the day that we live in, people are perfectly fine for you to have a belief as long as it's inside your own head and inside these walls. And the nation that we live in used to have these values all across, but that is changing. And they're telling us we cannot have those values in the marketplace. And so you'll hear about cases that go before the Supreme Court. You hear about businesses being lost. And what are we to do? First of all, we have a biblical worldview. And then we trust God. And I'm thankful that I live in a place where I can stand and preach this. But does anybody here think that there's going to come a day sometime in the near future where you cannot preach against homosexuality? Currently, we live in a place where we can teach the Bible as it is. We must not take it for granted. Let's pray. Oh, we, Father, we scratch our heads sometimes with confusion, being called names being ones that have called names. Would you allow us, Heavenly Father, to be as Christ-like as possible? We know that Jesus was criticized for eating with sinners. Would you allow us, Heavenly Father, to see the time that we have in this world, the connections that we have? It's likely that there's someone here, someone in their family or someone close to them, maybe in their neighborhood, that would call themselves a homosexual. That is a mission field. It's very possible someone hearing this today struggles with these kind of feelings or, or we know someone struggling with these feelings. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that you help no matter what our tendencies are. We praise you that you are one that offers victory. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves as we walk in this world. I want to give you a chance to pray today, just while we have some music playing in the back. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would invite you to make that first prayer. Invite Jesus to be your Redeemer. He died on the cross because of your sin, and you can be a son or daughter of God today if you will only turn from your sins and accept His forgiveness. Start to pray. He'll lead you. Pray for forgiveness and salvation. Maybe you're here today and and, and you hate homosexuals. You need to repent of that. Maybe you're here today and you're confused with some thinking that you have. There is victory and salvation from that. Maybe you're here today and, and God's done some other work in your life or from this text, whether it be compromise or not standing up as righteous 